We're in 2 Peter, guys. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter, we left off in chapter 1. We're going to finish up chapter 1 and tackle chapter 2 as well. After we get done with 2 Peter, believe it or not, we're going to go into the book of Leviticus. So, you're like, how in the world did you pick Leviticus? Well, we were going through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, and we were at the book of Leviticus when COVID hit, and I paused uh, to tackle Philippians and First and Second Peter, felt it was applicable for us as we went through COVID, want to get back into Leviticus and seeing how it points to Christ. So we're looking forward to that and can start uh, studying ahead, so... We'll see how Wednesday night attendance does when we get to Leviticus, right? So. <laughs> All right, let's pray together. Father, we're thankful to get into your word, to look at the truth of who you are. Help us to be able to stand against deceit. Um, Lord, this is a time where, where truth is needed. And so, Lord, may we stand fast in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's play a game of true or false. Let's see how you do. Keep score, all right? So first is, in space you cannot cry. True or false? It's actually true. There's no gravity. All right. The inventor of the light bulb, Thomas Edison, was afraid of the dark. True or false? True. The letter T is the most common in the English language. False. That's right. Um, there's no word that rhymes with orange. True. That's right. It's true. The strongest muscle in proportion to its size in the human body is the tongue. True, that's true. Someone was going to say the glutes, but that's false. It's false. Navy uniforms turn bright orange after coming in contact with salt water so a sailor can be easily spotted after falling overboard. True or false? Let me hear you. It's true. It's true. Okay. A cockroach will live for nine days without its head before it starves to death. Absolutely true. How many of you guys want to test that out? It's like, yeah, let's test that one out. I think Wyatt and I are going to have to do that. Okay, women can read smaller print better than men. Men can hear better than women. Definitely false. That's the, it's the other way around. Every day, more money is printed for Monopoly than U.S. Treasury. It's true. Benjamin Franklin's formal education ended at age 10. It's true. Well, we're living in a time where it can be difficult to tell what's true and false. And Peter is at the end of his life. Great ministry, great man of God. And you'd think of all of the things that he would write to us at the end of his life. And he's concerned about false teaching. He's worried about deception. He says, I want to stir you up in way of reminder that you're established in the truth. So he reminds us of the word of God at the end of chapter one, and then all of chapter two is this warning against false teaching and false prophets. So let's pick it up in verse 16. For we do not follow cunning fables, cunning devised fables, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We're not following clever stories. We're following Jesus Christ. We're following the glory and the reality of Christ. And Peter says, <clears throat> we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Please don't put Christ in the category of fairy tales. 
Please don't put Christ in the category of Disney movies. Understand that there is depth and there's reality and there's truth to who Jesus is. Truth is revealed through the incarnation of Christ. As Christ came in human flesh at the Mount of Transfiguration is what Peter's referring to. We see the glory of Christ. Verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Jesus gets Peter, James, and John to come up to the mountain with him where Christ's glory is seen. So most of Christ's life, they're seeing Christ in his humanity. But in this one moment, God allows the veil to be come off of their eyes and they see the glory of Christ. They see the majesty of Christ. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but it was something for Peter, James, and John. Elijah and Moses come and are hanging out in that moment with Christ. Peter is overwhelmed and he says, let's build booths or tabernacles for each of these guys, Jesus, Peter, and Moses putting the three of them on the same category. In that moment, the father says, I got to correct this. These three guys are not on the same category. This is my beloved son. This is the one that I love. Why does the father want us to know that Jesus is loved by the father? Because the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. And we see how much The father loves the son and he gives up the son so that we could be adopted as the children of God. It causes us to understand the love of God in a greater way. The emphasis is hear him. The emphasis is pay attention to Christ. As Peter is setting up this discussion on truth and error, the foundation is Christ. If you want to make sure that you're inside of the truth of God, focus on Christ. Focus on who he is, what he's done. All false teaching falls apart when it comes to the character, nature, and the work of Jesus Christ. You look at false religions, false teachings, they all teach lies about who Jesus is. Hear him. I think this is important for us as we try to navigate these difficult times with COVID and elections and wildfires and and hurricanes is hear him, hear Jesus. Focus on Christ. Listen for his voice. This would be a really good time to read the Gospels and listen to the teachings of Christ. Understand his work. Live in his grace because that's a message that can easily get drowned out in these times. So the emphasis is on Christ and his glory and the love that the Father has for him. In verse 19, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to hear as light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This morning, my oldest daughter and I went out to Garden of the Gods and took in the sunrise. She's got a photo class and she had a photo assignment. It was a great way to start the day. With my daughter, with the sun rising, Garden of the Gods was was beautiful. And every day the sun rises and shines light into the darkness. And Peter uses that as an analogy of the written word of God, the prophetic word that's been fulfilled about the life of Christ. So you have Christ coming in human flesh and the Father revealing his love of his Son, but you also have the written word with all of the promises of who Jesus is. 
that he was going to be born of a virgin, that he was going to be born in Bethlehem, that he was going to die upon the cross, that he was going to rise again. All of this was prophesied in the Old Testament that Christ has fulfilled. Peter exhorts us, we do well to take heed to the word of God, these prophecies. As we take heed to it, it lights us up. The word of God lights us up. Jesus Christ lights us up. And thankfully, the light of the reality of who Jesus is, the light of God's truth is always greater than our darkness. Our darkness cannot defeat the light of who Jesus is. It can't defeat the light of the truth of God's word. We need to be reminded of that as well. Because as we're going through dark times, it seems like the darkness is going to win. The darkness in our own hearts. The darkness in our own culture. But yet, what's the answer? It's the light. As the sun rises, the darkness flees. As Christ is risen in our hearts, as his truth is shed abroad in our hearts. I'm sure you've experienced it. If not, I pray that you do. When you're reading the word of God, when the knowledge of Jesus comes into your life, your whole heart lights up. Your, your whole being lights up. If you're new to the scriptures and new to, to church and you're examining who Christ is, you get in the word of God and the truth of scripture, it's going to light up your life. It has power. It has impact. In verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by the men of God, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the word of God comes through the spirit of God. The spirit of God inspired the word of God. And God's word is never of private interpretation. And this comes into play with false teachers and deception. Please run from somebody that thinks that they have the market on scripture. Where they're the only ones that can really understand scripture. And if you go to their church, take their class, sign up give them money, then they're going to give you this interpretation that nobody else has. It's an offense to God to say that he is not able to communicate clearly in his word. If someone says to you, you're not a good communicator, what does that tell you? That's offensive, right? It's like, yeah, okay, something's wrong in my communication. And that's an issue for us, for all of us. But for God, to be able to read the word and go, you know, we really can't understand what the word of God says. Or, you know what, I'm the only one that's able to interpret the word of God. No, God communicates clearly to where we can understand it. Paul encouraged us to rightly divide the word of God. So how do you rightly divide the word of God? As you're studying the scriptures, remember the context. Look at it inside of that book. Look at it inside of Genesis to Revelation. Look at what you're reading in light of who Jesus is. If what I'm reading and getting out of the word doesn't line up with who Jesus is, then I've got the wrong interpretation. The right interpretation is always going to line up with, with Christ. It's going to line up with the book of Acts. It's going to line up with the epistles. So that's a good litmus test. Does this line up with who Jesus is? Does this line up with what we see in the book of Acts? Is it taught in the epistles? But if someone goes, you know, I'm the only one that really understands the book of Mark. Watch out. Or I was in prayer and the Lord gave me this private interpretation. And it's usually sold to us like, hey, you're, you're extra spiritual. 
if you'll hang out to hear this interpretation. You know, I've got my eye on you, and I notice that you raise your hands in worship, and you're here on Wednesday nights, and you have a heart for, for outreach, then you're ready for this special revelation that nobody else has. And that plays in on our pride. We're like, oh, ho, ho, ho. They noticed my spirituality, right? They, they noticed that, that I'm ready for this deeper private truth. I'm going to join the club. And then you're in the club and you're in the in-group that's got the private interpretation and that continues to play in our pride and we look down on others and go, well, why don't you get serious about Jesus? If you got serious with Jesus, then you too would have this deeper private understanding. Jesus taught in a way where children were blessed. Jesus taught in a way where the common people heard him gladly. Fishermen, it made sense to fishermen. They were able to comprehend the, the truth of God. The truth of God is not complicated. It's not of private interpretation, thankfully. So then we get into these warnings about false teaching. But there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift judgments. How many dads do I got out here? Dads, can I? Online dads, l- let us know. All right, dads of daughters. Any dads of daughters out here? Isn't it cool to be a dad of a daughter, right? Now, dads of daughters, I want you to imagine a punk coming into your teen daughter's life. All right. You know he's a punk. How are you going to respond when it comes to this punk? He's deceptive, he's handsome, he's got cunning words, but you know he's after no good. Makes me mad just talking about it, right? It's like, I'm going to get that sucker in Jesus' name, right? I'm not letting some punk come in and deceive my daughter and rip her off. I mean, man, that stirs us as, as dads. It's easy for us to read through this chapter and get warned about false teaching and just go, Oh, yeah, I know false teachings out there. Thanks, Pastor Eric, for the Wednesday night pep talk. But the reality of this is, is false teaching can come into our lives if we're not careful. Really get us off track when it comes to the most important thing, and that's who God is and how he wants us to live our lives. And what's so deceptive about these false prophets and false teachers is Peter says they're among you. They're among you. So they're trusted. They're a part of the body of Christ. You wouldn't necessarily see it coming. Jesus called them wolves in sheep's clothing. That's why it's so deceptive. They look like a sheep. They act like a sheep. They get your trust, but the only problem is is they don't eat like a sheep. They eat other sheep. They're, They're a wolf. Jesus warned about false teachers. Paul warned about false teachers. Peter warns about false teachers. So you have to be careful, not judgmental, but careful. Everything you're hearing from a pulpit, a a table, if you're reading a Christian book, listening to a podcast, you're in a a Bible study, you're in relationship with one another, is you want to search the scriptures, get into the word of God for ourselves and go, I got to make sure that this lines up with the scripture. I got to make sure that this lines up with who Jesus is because we expect false teaching from out there, right? At least we should. When you go on to Netflix, expect false teaching. Somebody's got an agenda when they put together those programs, right? 
But false teaching can be more close to home. It can be among you, and it gets to a place where it leads us off track. And God promises judgment upon these false teachers. In verse 3, By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. What motivates these false teachers is covetousness. They're seeing people's relationship with God and their love for God as a means to be able to get what they want. A means to be able to get money. A means to get power. A means to get recognition. It's that covetousness that that motivates them. And Paul says that their judgment, or Peter says that their judgment's not idle and their destruction doesn't sleep. God is going to bring judgment upon those false teachers. Peter reminds us of places in the Old Testament where God brought judgment. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Satan's rebellion is described in Ezekiel 28, and God judged the angels, and they're locked up and reserved for final judgment. So if angels are judged, fallen angels, then also false teachers are going to be judged. And do and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. God brings judgment upon the whole world with the flood. Only Noah and his family are saved, eight people. Eight being the number of new beginnings, seven being the number of, of completion. Notice, guys, that we're reading New Testament. This is New Testament theology here. Is there is an aspect of God in his righteousness and his holiness where he brings judgment. The depth of the finished work of Christ is that he took the judgment for us upon the cross. There's no way for us to stand before a holy God without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Without the sacrifice of Christ, we would be receiving his judgment. And to those that reject Christ, to those that are false teachers and false prophets, there's a real judgment that's coming. It would be unloving, unfair for me to not tell you if you reject Christ over the course of your whole entire life, there is real judgment coming. Jesus talked about hell and described hell. It's not a place that anyone wants to be and not a place that that God wants you to be and that's why Jesus died for our sins. It shows us the amazing work that Christ has done for us to take the judgment of God. In verse six, in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah in Abraham's lifetime. These cities that were filled with wickedness and Abraham interceded with God because of Lot, his nephew. Got it down to where if there were 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, God wasn't going to judge these cities, but there wasn't even 10. So God brought judgment and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was rescued It's an example of God knowing how to judge the wicked and save the righteous. Continuing in verse 6, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. 
we look at Lot's life and we wouldn't necessarily say he was righteous as he was there living in Sodom and Gomorrah. But God calls him righteous. And the reason that God calls him righteous is he was never content with the wickedness that surrounded him. The wickedness that was surrounded him, it tormented his soul. It bothered him. And we, unfortunately, live in a time, live in a culture that's much like Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a lot of gross sexual immorality. If we're not careful, we're going to get calloused. You know, if you have a wound in the same area over and over and over, you get scars and your skin gets calloused. You know, if you work hard with your hands and work out, you get calluses. And it's easy for our souls to get calloused to the wickedness that is around us, and it no longer torments us. It no longer oppresses us. To some degree, we should live with a tormented soul. It should always disrupt our soul that babies are being aborted. Babies are life that God has created and life begins in the womb. It should always torment our soul when someone takes their life in suicide. It should never become normal for us as believers when someone ends their life in, in suicide. No matter how bad suffering is, we should never accept suicide as an out to, to suffering even in elderly years. God has a purpose for life and even a, a purpose for suffering. Euthanasia is legal in Colorado where you're terminally ill and you can go to the pharmacy once the doctor prescribes it. Take that drug and you're dead. But that's not God's heart. It, it should torment us. So many different aspects of, of sin where it's easy over time for us to get comfortable, but we want to have the response of Lot and have it torment our souls. And because of that, God calls Lot righteous. In verse 9, <clears throat> the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to give judgment to those who need it and deserve it and also to deliver out those who are righteous. And we're righteous not on our own merits, but our position in Christ. So God will bring judgment on the unjust, but he will bring deliverance to the righteous, just like he did with Lot. Remember, all of this is a warning to the false teacher. As the false teacher, if he's proclaiming things in God's name that are not true, then God's going to bring judgment upon him. Describing more of this false teacher in verse 10, <coughs> excuse me, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lusts of uncleanness, and despises authority, they are presumptuous and self-willed. So this is describing the characteristic of a false teacher. As you examine the fruit of teaching, one of the things that you want to look for in things that you're being taught from the Word of God is what's their response to authority? And is there a rebellious spirit towards authority? Now, there are times where we need to disobey authority based on God's word. We see that in the book of Acts, right? There were times where they were being asked to obey authority when it was in disobedience to God. And there may be those times in our lives where we have to say, authority, I respect you, but I have to be disobedient to you because I have to honor God. But then there's a lot of other times in our lives where 
It's not disobedient to God to honor the authority that has been placed above us. And honoring and living under authority shows us the fear of God, that God's the one who has set up authority. So these false teachers, they're they're rebellious and they despise authority. They they hate authority. They're presumptuous and self-willed. There's this selfishness about them. So as you're looking at teaching, look for the fruit of the teaching. Examine the fruit. Again, continuing to describe false teachers, they are not afraid to speak evil of, of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. There's a similar verse to this in Jude. Jude verses 8 through 10. It's just one book, one chapter. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, rejecting authority and speaking evil of dignitaries, Yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of the Lord dared not bring against him a reviling accusation but said the Lord rebuke you. So it seems that Jude gives us a little more clarity on what it means to speak evil of these dignitaries. Is Michael the archangel did not rebuke the devil in and of himself but said the Lord rebuke you. So angels don't feel confident in and of themselves to rebuke Satan and demons in their own authority, but false teachers will. False teachers will feel so secure in their own self-confidence that you'll see them rebuking the devil and rebuking demons. Michael's example is much better of saying the Lord rebuke you. It makes sense why. I don't have any authority over demons. I don't have any authority over Satan, but God sure does, right? So the Lord rebuke you. Jesus, would you deal with that demon? Would, would you deal with Satan who is coming against me? It's like if you've got someone in your home that was special forces, and here comes a robber, just ask for help from the dude that's special forces. I'm going to take the Navy SEAL. Like, hey, could you please deal with this for me? Right? You've got the training in all of this. Growing up, one of my dad's really good friends was a a Navy SEAL, and I was pretty confident he could kill me in less than six seconds. Guy was a tough dude, right? So if Jim Montgomery was hanging over at our house and a robber comes in, it's like, Jim, could you please deal with this? Could you please take care of this? And humility understands Jesus can deal with this. Jesus can take care of this. The Lord rebuke you, but I'm not going to try to rebuke this in my own power and in my own strength. It always makes me a little nervous when I'm with someone and they begin to rebuke Satan or they begin to rebuke demons. Let the Lord do that. The Lord rebuke you. In verse 12, but these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. So the nature of these false teachers is like natural brute beasts. And they're caught in a trap and they're destroyed. They speak evil of things that they don't understand and they're going to perish in their own corruption. Verse 13, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in daytime. There are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. So living this double life living this carousing, partying in in the daytime, but they come to the feast, they come to this time of worship with believers and and saints, and they speak deceptive words. That's why we got to be listening carefully, because 
its deceptive words. Having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. So you look at the lifestyle, you look at the fruit, and you see sexual sin, eyes that are full of adultery. As they, their worldview is one of adultery and one of, of sexual sin. They can't stop sinning, but yet they entice unstable souls. Be careful for somebody whose eyes are full of adultery. You know, be careful that we're not the ones with the unstable souls and we're caught in their trap. Their heart, unfortunately, is trained in covetousness, which is scary in and of itself. When we look at these false teachers, it's like, how did they get to this place where their heart is trained in covetousness? The flip side's true is our heart could be trained in thanksgiving, couldn't it? Our heart could be trained in contentment. Our heart could be trained in the way the Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content no matter what state that I'm in. What are our eyes fixed upon? Are our eyes fixed upon sexual sin? Are our eyes fixed upon Christ? Get an example of a false teacher from the Old Testament in verse 15. They've forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. This is quite the story. The Moabites want cursing placed upon the children of Israel. So they come to Balaam, say, Balaam, would you curse the children of Israel? He's like, great, no problem, I'll do it. So he starts heading to the camp of the Israelites where he's going to pronounce this curse upon them. He's riding his donkey and all of a sudden, his donkey starts to give him problems and won't go. So he starts to beat the donkey. The donkey stops because he sees the angel of the Lord. The donkey sees the angel, but Balaam doesn't. Isn't that humbling? What if your dog at home saw the angel of the Lord and you didn't? You know, our spiritual state's so blind that our dog is seeing this angel right in front of us, and we're not seeing it. And the donkey then rebukes Balaam for losing his temper with him. And the Lord speaks through this donkey like a man's voice. That would be pretty frightening, right? If your dog just, hey, why are you beating on me? Didn't you see the angel, right? And you'd think at this point, the message would really get through to Balaam. But Balaam still goes and he would try to pronounce cursing, but blessing would come out. The power of God to take a curse and turn it into a blessing but at the very end, Balaam says, you know what? The way you're really going to get the Israelites is to send in Moabite women. The men don't have self-control. They'll engage in sexual sin and they'll engage in idolatry. And that's exactly what the Moabites did. And what motivated Balaam to do this was the wages of unrighteousness. He wanted the money. He wasn't really concerned with anything else but the money and the Moabites would, would pay him. And that's the same that's motivating false teachers and false prophets is the wages of unrighteousness. Here's the characteristic of these false teachers. These are wells without water, clouds carried by tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness for forever. Sometimes clouds look like they're going to bring rain. You're like, oh great, it's been dry, it's been hot, this should bring some rain. But false advertisement doesn't bring the rain. And that's the case with these false teachers is there clouds without water and ultimate judgments reserved for them. 
Verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they lure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in air. They speak swelling words of emptiness. In our culture, we're suckers for great orders. We love to take communicators and put them on a pedestal because they sound good. Examine a little bit deeper. Examine a little bit closer. What are they teaching about Jesus? What's the fruit of the life? What's their characteristics? But it's through these swelling words of emptiness that they're able to allure people through the lust of the flesh. Saying this is going to be good for your flesh. It's going to be good for sin and it, and it looks good and it leads people to a place of destruct, destruction. Verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. So what's interesting is the false teachers, they really advertise freedom. Hey, if you'll come follow this teaching, you're going to be free. But their own lives, they're slaves to sin. Their own lives, there's corruption, and they're brought under bondage. Verse 20, for if after they escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled in them and overcome, the latter ends worse for them than the beginning. So Peter is saying, man, if they escape the corruption of this world, if they receive Christ as their Savior, and then they got entangled in it again, their end is worse than their beginning. Gives us this warning. He ends us with this warning in verse 21 and 22. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it, to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, quoting from the Old Testament, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a pig, a sow, having washed to her own wallowing in the mire. You know, pig returns to the mud. Dog returns to the vomit. And that's exactly what these false teachers did. I wonder the specific false teachers that Peter had in mind. Where did they get off track? Did they once love the Lord? Did they once serve the Lord? And then selfishness creeped in. Covetousness creeped in. The love of money creeped in. Sexual sin creeped in. There was the voice of the Holy Spirit. Hey, repent. Get right. You're off track. But they didn't heed that. And before long, it wasn't enough for them to be in sin, but to try to get others to join them. And to use the name of God and the word of God and to twist it and start to declare things that God has never declared in his word, but putting God's name on it, putting his tag on it and leading them astray. Peter says, I've got to warn you. You've got to be careful about this. You've got to examine the teachings that are taking place. I want you to think about this, and I don't want to answer it for you. I want you to pray about it and consider it. See what the Lord reveals to you. Is What do you think are some of the greatest false teachings that are attacking the church today? In what areas do you think that even the church of God is beginning to propagate lies instead of truth? Where you're hearing 
churches declare things that don't line up with the word of God? And what are those things? What are those topics? What, what comes to mind, right? And when there's a real move of God that takes place amongst believers, there's always a resurgence to get back into the word of God. There's always an elevating of who Jesus is and what he's done and a focus upon him. And that's where we need to be in our lives, is elevating Christ, elevating his word, studying it, reading it for ourselves, planting our roots deep inside of the word of God. Because there's a lot of things you can get wrong in your life and the consequences are less severe. Like you're doing a home project and you don't get it quite right. That's a big deal. But at the end of the day, it's just your home, right? It's not what you believe about God. It's not what you believe about eternity, what's true about eternity. It's not what God would have you to do for your life. It's a physical house. You make a mistake on a car, it's it's a big deal. But again, it's not who God is. It's not salvation. It's not how God wants you to live your life. But if we get it wrong on who God is, if we get it wrong on how we're saved, if we get it wrong on how he wants to us to live our lives, there's, there's huge ramifications. I'm sure there's maybe been some times in our lives when we look back where we fell prey to spiritual deception. A person like this came into our lives. They were a smooth talker. They were very convincing. And we took their word for it instead of the word of God, and it led to bondage into our lives instead of freedom. One of the things that I think will protect us against this is don't put people on pedestals. Don't put pastors on pedestals. Don't put spiritual leaders on on pedestals. We're sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace. And pastors are extremely flawed. And there can be pastors who get off track and fall into this category of being false teachers and elevate Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. That's what he declared. He wants us to have a personal relationship with him where we know who he is, we know what he's about, we know what he's taught, and we're following Jesus. More important than any time that I can remember in my lifetime is the importance that we're following Christ and we're focused upon who Christ is. Be thankful for the body of Christ, but there's one head, Jesus Christ. If some pastor or some mentor was removed from your life, what would happen to your relationship with Jesus? Hopefully, you would continue to grow because your focus is on Jesus. You're thankful for your mentor, you're thankful for your pastor, but your faith is not in your mentor. Your faith is not in your pastor. Your faith is in Jesus. He's your cornerstone. That's who you've got your eyes fixed upon, and that's who you're following. Focus on Christ. Follow him And then study the word of God. And study the word of God for the primary purpose of enjoying relationship with God. This is, I'm getting to know my father. As I'm getting to know my father, I'm enjoying his truth. I'm enjoying relationship with him. And as you spend time with the shepherd through the word of God, you're going to spot the lies. You're going to be able to hear the lies and detect him and go, hey, that does not sound right. That doesn't line up with who I know God to be revealed through the scriptures and you're able to be able to detect the lies. As you 
then disciple others. Be a disciple, make a disciple, and then send a disciple. What does it mean to make a disciple? Is you teach them to elevate Jesus. You teach them to have a relationship with Jesus. You teach them to get in the word of God to where they're able to decipher between truth and lie. For me, my conviction as a pastor is I don't like to try to tell people what they should read or what they shouldn't read or who they should listen to or who they shouldn't listen to. To me, that leads to really kind of controlling and cult-like behavior. But even more so is I'm confident as as you're in the Word of God and you're reading things, you're going to be able to get the meat and spit out the bones. You're going to be able to identify the truth and spit out the lies. It's kind of the difference between a parent driving their child everywhere and teaching their child to drive, right? At some point in our kids' maturity, it's time to teach them to drive. And our pastoral team here, by God's grace, we want to teach you to drive. We want you to be able to be into God's word. You have your own relationship with Christ. You're able then to listen for truth and listen for lies and go, yep, that's not the voice of my shepherd. That doesn't line up with scripture. It doesn't line up with who Jesus is. So there's a lot of differing opinions on this, but this is my conviction. So I'm just sharing my conviction. I'm sharing my heart with you. I think if you invest your time in a relationship with Jesus and the truth of scripture, you're going to be able to identify the lies. I would much rather you spend your time investing in the truth than investing in all the lies. Because if you know the truth, then you're going to be able to spot the lies. But the balance to that is there's lies out there. Amen? There are real lies out there. There's deceptive people that will come in our midst and to be able to spot, spot the lies and hold on to the truth. This may be a bigger issue than I realize. This may be a bigger issue than you realize. And this is why. Because Peter, at the end of his life, this is what he writes about. This is what he writes about. This is like, be careful that you don't get deceived. We've probably experienced it in our lives to some degree. And we've definitely walked alongside of people that we love. And they get deceived. They get deceived with truth. And they start believing really wacky things. We're like, how did you end up with that belief? And then belief affects behavior. And oh man, that's just bringing so much damage to your life and hurting those that you love. And deception got in there. With the armor of God, what protects our minds? The helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation, which has everything to do with who Jesus is and his grace and what he's done for us. That he's died for our sins and that he's rose again. So don't make this overly complicated. If you understand who Jesus is, you understand his character, his nature, what his work accomplished, you're going to be able to spot the lies. If you focus on him, walk with him, you're going to be able to spot the lies. And this is where we get to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we see a brother or sister in Christ that's beginning to reject the truth and embrace the lies, we go to them in humility and say, look, I love you and I care for you. And I could be wrong, but let's examine the scriptures because what I hear you saying and what you're believing and now what you're starting to live out, it doesn't seem to line up with scripture. Would you be willing to go to the scripture with me? Because I care about you. And we've got to hold on to truth. We've got to hold on to truth. Truth is so important in our lives. Amen?
All right, let's stand and pray together. Father, would you help us in this? Would you help us to keep the main thing the main thing? Would you help us to see your son, Jesus? To hear what you declared audibly from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. May we not ever diminish who Jesus is, diminish his work. May we hear afresh the words for us to follow Jesus, to follow him. And God, would you revive the importance of your word in our hearts and in our lives for relationship with you, for being able to stand on truth. We pray for this next generation, for young people and for kids in children's ministry, that they would know you and know your truth and that your truth would set them free. May we be like Lot and never be in a place where we become callous to the sin around us, that the wickedness in our culture would torment us, would grieve us, would move us to love those that don't know you as our Savior. God, we understand that your judgment is very real. We thank you for your grace, but we pray for those that don't know you that they could come into relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.